Fly Fishing Internet Radio, your source for learning more about fly fishing in cold water, warm water, and salt water. Hello, I'm Roger Maves, your host for tonight's show. On this broadcast, we'll be featuring Morgan Lyle, and he'll be answering your questions on Tenkara today. This show will be 90 minutes in length, and we're broadcasting live over the Internet. If you'd like to ask Morgan a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use the Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. And while you're there, make sure you sign up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. You'll see a form in the right-hand column on all of our web pages. Just fill in your name and email address, and we'll keep you informed. This broadcast is being recorded and will be available for playback on our website about 48 hours after the show ends. So if you have to leave early, you can return to our website at your convenience and listen to the recording at any time. The content of this broadcast is copyrighted and is the property of the Knowledge Group, Inc., doing business as Ask About Fly Fishing. Recordings or transcriptions of this program cannot be distributed or sold in any form. When we return, we'll be talking with Morgan Lyle about Tenkara Today. Fly Fishers International needs your support. Its conservation projects at both the national and club level are addressing critical issues of importance to fly fishers. The organization provides grants to help with restoration of habitats like Wolf Creek in Idaho and Sands Creek in Delaware County, New York, and funds projects that collect valuable data about fish and their habitats like the Peacock Bass Study in Miami, Florida. FFI's core values remain unchanged to serve as a strong advocate for fly fishing in all waters for all fish, to preserve and to promote the arts of fly casting and fly tying, and to help ensure future generations can continue to enjoy these one-of-a-kind experiences. These efforts won't be nearly as effective without your help. If you are not already a member, we invite you to join Fly Fishers International as they work to cultivate conservation, education, and community within the sport of fly fishing. Join Fly Fishers International today and help support their fine work. For more information, go to their website at flyfishersinternational.org. That's flyfishersinternational.org. Before we introduce Morgan, I'd like to let you know about the great prizes we have to give away tonight. On our drawing tonight, we'll be giving away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International and a one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. So you have two chances to win tonight in our drawing. Now, if you haven't registered yet for the drawing, you can do so now. Just go to our home page at askaboutflyfishing.com and look for the link under Morgan's section that says click here to register for our drawing. Click on that link and fill out the form and we'll announce the winners at the end of the show. And thanks to the Stackpole Books, we'll also be giving away a copy of Morgan's latest book, Tenkara Today. Now here's how you can win. You must be the first person to answer the question we ask at the end of the show. And the question will be about something that Morgan and I talk about during the show. And just submit your answer along with your name and location in that text box on our homepage, uh, same text box that you can use to ask questions at, during the show. Uh, so listen closely, take good notes, and, um, and type fast, and uh, maybe you'll win Morgan's book, Tenkara Today. Our guest tonight is Morgan Lyle. When Tenkara fly fishing was introduced in the United States in 2009, Morgan Lyle was one of the first American journalists to cover it. Morgan's new book, Tenkara Today, chronicles the first decade of Tenkara in the U.S., featuring in-depth interviews with leaders of the Tenkara movement, straightforward instructions on when, where, and how to fly fish with Tenkara gear. Morgan is the author of Simple Flies, 52 
Easy to Tie Patterns That Catch Fish, published in July of 2015 by Stackpole Books. He has been a regular contributor to American Angler, Fly Tire, Trout, The Drake, Fly Fishing and Tying Journal, and other magazines. He's also been a fly fishing columnist for the New York Outdoor News, fly fishing page manager at about.com, and author of the blog, The Fly Line. A longtime journalist, his work has appeared in media, including Newsday and the New York Times. He learned to fly fish on S. Opus um, Creek in the Catskills and lives in Brooklyn, New York. Morgan, welcome back to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. Hi, Roger. Thank you. It's great to be here. So correct my pronunciation on that creek. <laughs> Esopus Creek. And that Esopus. trips up every, okay. it trips up everyone who didn't grow up near it. If you if you haven't oh, seen really? that word before, you don't have much of a chance of getting it right. Esopus yeah, Creek. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Esopus Creek. That's easy once you yeah, once you know. Yeah. Well folks, I uh I'm working through a cold. So if you hear me mute out and pause for a minute, um I'm just clearing my throat or uh, coughing or doing one of those things <laughs> to try to get through uh, the night. So bear with me, and we'll, we'll get through, and, uh, and we'll get all the information we can out of Morgan here tonight. So, Well, good. Uh, we got lots of questions came in, Morgan, uh, tonight good. for the show from our audience. I want to thank the audience for all those questions. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, Tenkara, at least in the U.S., uh, for most of us, you know, it's a relatively new uh, way of fishing, but then again, it's really an old way of fishing, right? So, uh, yeah. So, fill us in on um, when and where Tenkara um, fishing techniques were first used, and, uh, and tell us a bit of uh, history there. Well, specifically, Tenkara comes from Japan, from, from uh, the mountainous regions of Japan, where there are lots and lots of trout streams, but uh, and but I should point out too that before the say the 1700s or so, when reels came into common use, for you know many many hundreds of years before that, all fly fishing looked like what tenkara fly fishing looks like, which is to say, no reel, a very long rod, relatively short line tied directly to the tip of the rod. But this was the way that um, that commercial hook-and-line fishermen in the mountains of Japan would practice their trade in the, and how far back it started is not exactly clear, but a long time, hundreds of years, certainly, and right up through the 1800s and well into the 20th century, they would fish with uh, very often rods made of bamboo stalks, not split bamboo, like, uh, like the cane fly rods that we think of, but actual bamboo stalk rods with uh, horsehair lines tied to the tips, and very simple wet flies, and they would catch trout to eat or to sell, and so it wasn't a game for them. This was a, a profession. But that's where it came from, and then around, the say, the mid-20th century, we started to see um, sort of modern um, carbon fiber rods or, or fiberglass rods that replicated that kind of fishing experience, but as a recreational pursuit rather than a commercial one. And the, you mean, uh, and those were available to the, the consumer market? They point? were available to the consumer market. And remember, there's a lot of what is sometimes called pole fishing in most of the Asian countries. And, uh, and some of them are, great many of them are, are set up sort of the way Tankara rods are with a, a collapsing construction and line attached to the tip. And they're, they're sized and built and designed for everything from small herring to tuna. Hmm. 
Now, why why the collapsible part of things? Uh, why, why did they go that route as opposed you to know, the four piece? The rods piece will come stuff. in sections for one very good reason. They're 12 feet long. They're just not easy to carry around in one piece or even in two pieces. But the reason they're that they telescope, uh, and by the way, it's a very convenient feature for carrying your rod. You know, you can throw one in a in a backpack in a carry on. Keep one in the car. They're easy if you live in a small apartment like me to, to keep your stuff. But there is actually a, a tactical reason for it. If you had rods with ferrules, like we're used to on regular fly rods, and you had the line attached to the tip of the rod, not running down through guides to a reel on the rod, but actually attached to the tip of the rod, it's very, very conceivable that a good fish could pull that tip section right off and swim away with it. That can't happen with the telescoping structure because each section, the butt end of each section, is a little wider than the neck of the section below it, if that makes sense. So there's no way it can be pulled out forward through the rod. I never thought of that. That <laughs> makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't try it with your normal rod. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, or, or make sure you get the rod up quickly if you get a bite. Yeah, because how many times did you know did, does a rod come apart even on a conventional rig? You know, uh, many times. Yeah, it happens, happens. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, okay. So those are good reasons, and like you say, I know many people today use them backpacking, hiking, and stuff. So easy to just throw in a day pack, you know. So. Um, yeah, absolutely, yeah. and and you know, part of the appeal of that is the Tenkara really is. Uh, it, and by the way, uh, you know. And we could talk about this, too. You can use Tenkara rods for all kinds of fish in all kinds of water, but you're not, strictly speaking, Tenkara fishing unless you're fishing for trout. Tenkara is, by definition, trout fishing, and generally in uh, small to moderate-sized upland mountain region streams. And so these tend to be the kinds of things where people do find themselves when they're hiking, bike packing, backpacking, that sort of thing. So that, you know, that small size of a collapsed 10 car rod can be a really big advantage. Yeah, right, right, yeah. So um, who brought 10 car to the U.S. and when? It was one guy. It was uh, a man named Daniel Gallardo. I think he may have been a guest on your show. He yep. founded a company him. called, yep, and Daniel really single-handedly did this. No one had thought of this before he had. But Daniel's wife is Japanese, or Japanese-American. They were in Japan in 2007 or 2008 um, on a visit to visit relatives to, and to do some fishing and some hiking. And it was in the tackle shops in Japan that Daniel, who had been a fishing nut his whole life, saw for the first time these Tenkara rods. And he began to wonder if American anglers might be interested in buying them. And so it, that's, that was the beginning of the idea of uh, launching the company that is called Tenkara USA. And they really were the first. They really uh, blazed the trail. And I've got a, a very detailed explanation of Daniel's background and how that story came about in the book. It's a really interesting story. And it was kind of a gutsy thing to do, you know. He was 25, he had a good job, and he took every dime he had and quit that good job and poured it into this, this project. And it's worked out. Yeah, it sure has. Yeah, I, uh, I talked with uh, Daniel, uh, well, it's been years ago now, but uh, when he was first getting started, and we interviewed him on the show, and it was, uh, you know, it was a new shiny object back then. People people didn't really know much about it. Um, so it really kind of grew grassroots from, from Daniel, uh, I guess. But, uh, you know, what 
What's happened in the past uh, 10 years since uh, Daniel brought it to the U.S.? Well, what has happened is uh, several other companies have started up here in the U.S. also selling their own brand Senkara rods. Um, and there's also another, one of the more prominent businesses in the Tenkara industry is a, a business called TenkaraBum.com, uh, based right here in New York City, where I am. And TenkaraBum.com, excuse me, concentrates on importing and selling rods made for the Japanese domestic market, um, usually made in Japan and made for the anglers of Japan. So that's that's a good, convenient way for people in the States to get the Japanese rods. But you've got a lot of selection now of rods sold by American companies sort of following in the footsteps of Tenkara USA. Um, and they've gained a loyal following. Um, it has not exactly taken the fly fishing world by storm. It's become its own sort of subculture of American fly fishing. You know, I remember when all this started, when we started seeing these, when Tenkara sort of showed up in the U.S., I think I and other people were wondering whether it would be absorbed by the fly fishing industry and so that someday we would see, you know, you'd get your Orvis catalog in the mail and you'd see, uh, you know, a, a two-page spread of Orvis's Tenkara rods or Sage Tenkara rods or Scott or Winston. And that never really did happen. Orvis does carry um, a Tenkara USA model uh, in, its, in its catalog or on its website. Um, Temple Fork Outfitters. Uh, carries a Tenkara rod with its own label. But really, apart from that, the Tenkara tackle industry in the U.S. has sort of grown up as its own industry, kind of parallel to the, to the much larger fly fishing industry. But it's here, and, uh, and there are a lot of people who are very loyal fans and, and really enjoy it and make the most of it. Yeah, I think you think there would be, and, and they say, I guess, there's a, you know, a short learning curve to using Tenkara um, for, especially for people that have never fly fished before. Um, and um, and I can definitely see that because you're not burdened with all the paraphernalia that we carry around and the reel and, uh, you know, all this stuff. Um, but once you've used all that stuff, it's a little hard, <laughs> I found, to go back to Tenkara or to Tenkara to simplify things, you're looking for where's my reel, where's my line, how do I pull in some line, you know, how do I, right. you know, how do I double haul, get the line out there further, things like that. So um, it's not so simple, I don't think, to to go simple at times. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a good observation. You know, I, I you've often and especially early on uh, in the in the Tenkara years, you often heard that it was sort of a an alternative to the complexity and the complicated long learning curve of fly fishing. I don't know. I was one of those people who was already had been a fly fisherman for quite a long time when Tenkara arrived. So I that wasn't an issue for me. But honestly I, I never you know, I never didn't like my reel and I never didn't like all the other stuff that goes with regular fly fishing. But I was attracted to Tenkara not because it solves any sort of problem with fly fishing, but because of of what it is. It's its own cool thing. So, um, and yeah, you, you certainly do have certain limitations that you don't have with fly fishing, the obvious one being casting distance, but you also have certain advantages that you don't have with regular fly fishing in, you know, in, in a given situation. So, um, I think a lot of people have
not necessarily a, a lot of people have embraced the simplicity, but a lot of people have also just sort of come to enjoy Tenkara for for the sport that it is. It's its own sort of complete method of fishing. And you're right, the learning curve is much shorter. It's pretty intuitive. Most people can figure out how to get a fly over to where it needs to be in a few minutes on their own. You can help them a little with uh, talking about the size and shape of, of the cast. But um, but it is fairly intuitive. Same time, I've, I've always felt a little funny when people would talk about it as being sort of a fly fishing junior or a fly fishing light, you know, or a stepping stone to quote unquote real fly fishing. Tenkara really is its own sport, fully formed, you know, perfected over many generations in Japan, and I think it should be enjoyed for what it is. Yeah, good, good points, good points. <laughs> I like your take on that. Um, now, uh, I, I think I spotted something in your book about uh, people using Tenkara long before Daniel brought it to the U.S., but it wasn't really in the forefront by any means. Uh, there were a few. That? Yeah, there were a few. People? Uh, Dave Hughes, who wrote the, some really, really wonderful books that were very important to my development as a fly fisherman, the fly tire. The one I know best is Wet Flies, which I think is another edition has just come out. I recommend that to everybody in the world. I think Dave had some experience Tenkara fishing before before it was cool, as they say, before it was widely known. Yvonne Chouinard, the founder of Patagonia, has been wielding a Tenkara rod for a, a, quite a long time now. Gosh, it must be close to 30 years now, because he, he predated it uh, quite a bit. And then there's my friend, who there's a full chapter about in this book, a man named Ed Van Putt, who is uh, a very important figure in the uh, fly fishing community in the Catskill Mountains in New York. Uh, Ed's a writer. He's written a couple of just absolutely fantastic books on the history of the fishing in the Catskills, one on the, the whole region, one specifically on the Beaverkill River. Ed was, before he retired, uh, was a fisheries professional with the State Conservation Department who worked hard to on ecological causes, making sure, for example, that um, that releases from dams into the streams below were done in such a way as to protect the trout habitat in those streams. He also, and we should all be grateful to him for this, he negotiated many, many miles of public fishing rights with property owners along, you know, some of the most important streams in the Catskills. So a lot of the access that people have to those waters today uh, are thanks to Ed's efforts. And Ed's a regular traditional fly fisherman, does most of his fly fishing with a, a a four-weight fiberglass rod with a reel. But <laughs> it turns out he's also uh, was Tenkara fishing 10 years before Daniel Gallardo made his fateful trip to Japan with his wife. And it's a, a very interesting story. As I say, it gets a whole chapter in the book. How it came about was Ed was serving as a guide. He's a very good guide. He had guarded uh, President Jimmy Carter here in the Catskills. One time he took out on a trip, uh, he was hired as a guide for uh, Paul Volcker, the former chairman of the Federal Reserve, and the man who was Japan's ambassador to the United States. And they fished, and the ambassador subsequently came back, hired Ed again, and fished some more. And Ed said, he, you know, the guy's English was perfect. He very good fly fisher, as, as good as anybody in the States. But at some point in the trip, out comes this rod, of the likes of which Ed had never seen before, that extends out to actually beyond 12 feet long, this particular one. And, and that, that was Ed's first exposure to Japanese Tenkara fishing. 
and uh, and he was really fascinated by it. Got himself a few rods and uh, went on a little rampage in the Catskills and caught a lot of trout and really had a lot of fun and was kind of stunned by the effectiveness of it. And and we've got his you know his reflections on that in the book. He kept very careful notes, excuse me, of all his fishing, and uh, it, it's uh, a real revelation. Um, and it was a big revelation to him how effective these rods could be. That's something that, that must be remembered here. This, despite the casting limitations that you have with tenkara fishing, they are remarkably effective for catching trout in streams. Well, the, the whole technique had to be good um, if people were having to make a living at it, you know, in Japan. Exactly. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Well, you need to take a, a quick break here. Morgan, we'll be right back and uh, talk more about uh, tenkara fly fishing. Looking for that trout at permit? Whipray Key Fishing Lodge in Belize is where you want to be. When you stay at Whipray Key Fishing Lodge, you're on a private island and are only minutes away from some of the finest permit fishing in Belize. Whipray Key Fishing is just a 30-minute boat ride from Placencia. Once you're there, you'll be fishing Permit Alley, one of Belize's best fisheries, and you won't be taking long boat rides to get started. You'll fish with world-class guides like Daniel Cabral, whose family has fished the area for over 30 years. Want to switch it up and fish for tarpon and bonefish and make it a grand slam? They can make it happen at Whipray Key Fishing Lodge. Book your next adventure now. Visit WhipraykeyFishingLodge.com. That's Whipray, C-A-Y-E, FishingLodge.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We're talking with Morgan Lyle about Tenkara today. If you'd like to ask Morgan a question, just go to our homepage, AskAboutFlyFishing.com, and use that Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. Uh, so we got uh, one question came in here, Morgan, um, by Chuck in Choctaw, Oklahoma. He said, uh, a thought question has been posted on Tenkara, uh, Tenkara blog that Tenkara has hit its peak in terms of growth. growth. Your thoughts? Hard for me to know. Um, I don't know how the different Tenkara companies are doing with their sales and so forth, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if that was true. I think by now most people are at least somewhat familiar with it, and I think a lot of people who might have been interested and wanted to give it a try have probably had the opportunity to do so. Um, but I do hear from people in Tenkara business that they continue to attract new new anglers all the time, and they come both from the fly fishing world and also from people who haven't had any fishing experience before. So it's hard to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, uh, I, I did. Uh, I went to the IFTD show, which is a B two B fishing show in Denver, uh, not long well, last month, and uh, noticed I think there was probably four companies there with booths for Tenkara. Uh, and Daniel, uh, you, you know, Tenkara USA was there. Uh, but um, there was one uh, from Japan for sure. I can't remember the other two. But um, but definitely <laughs> more than there were in past years. So uh, they are putting themselves out there yet. And uh, uh, like anything, pro- probably there's a, a certain segment there to be had. And, and uh, it's probably going to be there for a while, I would think. Um, yeah, I, I would think so, too. I'm not sure how much larger the that segment is yeah. going to be, but I also don't think it's going to go anywhere. I think people yeah. are, are pretty loyal to the whole Tenkara sort of mystique. Um, yeah. You know, part of, the, part of the fun of Tenkara, honestly, is that it, it is, compared to regular fly fishing, a lot less expensive 
So, you know, maybe you will buy yourself a, a new rod every year or every couple of years, you know. It's, it's the yeah. kind of thing where you can invest in some tackle, generally speaking, without having to spend a whole lot of money. So that's part of the fun. Yeah, yeah. And it is, it is. There's a cool factor there, too, you know, especially uh, I spend uh, about half my time in Boulder where Daniel's business is, and you can go up Boulder Canyon and see, see lots of people <laughs> fishing Kankara. Um and there was a young guy, I, I would say, oh, you know, I mean, 16 or 17 out there fishing. And he had his back to me, and I yelled across the stream. I said, Tenkara. He turns around with a big smile and nods his head. <laughs> you know, yeah. it was like this this cool factor. Yep, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> Boulder's so, a great uh, Tenkara town. And, and honestly, Boulder Creek is just sort of the picture-perfect <laughs> Tenkara environment, you know, with uh, with pocket water and lots of little nooks and crannies where you can look for fish. And that gear is really well suited to that sort of environment. I mean, because that's where it was developed, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so um, let's talk about, you just brought it up, good segue, you know, where and when um, should we fish Tenkara? Uh, start this off with uh, Bill Henry in New York, somewhere just up the block from you. It could be many blocks <laughs> from where you are, but... Uh, but he wants to know the three best places to, to use Tenkara in New York City. Uh, going. Now, I'll tell you what. If this is the same Bill Henry I'm thinking of, and I'm pretty sure it probably is, um, then I, I know who this gentleman is. And he probably already knows these waters because he's a very accomplished fisherman. And, in fact, he's the only person that I know of who has caught carp on a fly in all five boroughs of New York City. Um, where in New York is the best place for Tenkara? There's really no streams to speak of, and, you know, you've got the East River and the Hudson River, but you can't really do an awful lot with them. Um, so it's generally pond fishing in parks, and, and there's lots of them. Um, I think maybe one of the very best is the one that's about a mile from where I'm sitting right now, and that is Prospect Park Lake in Prospect Park. It's beautiful. It's a really healthy fishery full of uh, largemouth bass and lots of panfish. Um, crappies and, and sunfish and so forth, and that can be a wonderful place to fish. But they're all going to be environments like that. Um, the central, uh, the Harlem Mere in Central Park is another body of water that uh, tends to be thought of as a good ten-cara spot, possibly just because it's not as quite as busy as some of the other bodies of water in Central Park and other places in the city. So it, you just got a little more space and not as many people around. Um, but so yeah, uh, and it's not hard to, to to find out either. The city does a good job with their parks department website of identifying fishing places in the city, all the different lakes and ponds, and what species of fish live there. It's catch and release only. It's generally open all year round. So there's really a lot of opportunities. And uh, you know, if you don't have two three hours to go up to the Catskill Mountains or Western New England or Pennsylvania or Western New Jersey. You just want to stay local and have a little fun on a on a Saturday afternoon. Very possible to do. It's just really cool. Yeah, the um, um, it, it's amazing. To even you know, I hadn't even thought about fishing in, in New York City. <laughs> uh, but then, like you say, those those park, the, those little lakes and parks in Central Park, and we were just talking before the show about carp being in Central Park. Um, a very large carp, you said. So there you go. Um, now. Where you know you had mentioned Boulder Creek in, in Colorado, and I'm I'm really familiar with that. But um, kind of explain you know where Tenkara was, what kind of water Tenkara is most suited for, uh, at least in the way that it came from Japan and and you know the the, the style that, that Daniel Gallardo 
brought into the country. Describe some waters that would be most suited for them. Sure, yeah, and, and if, you know, for folks who aren't familiar with what Boulder Creek looks like, it's just sort of your classic little mountain creek, and it's almost all rushing water and pocket water, lots of little pockets and drop-offs and eddies and rocks and stuff like that. Um, and it, it, it's, you know, it, it's got a pretty steep incline to it because it is flowing down out of the Rocky Mountains. And that's exactly the kind of streams in Japan where this sort of uh, fishing was developed. And there are places like that all over the United States. Generally, any place where you've got sort of some upland country and streams draining it, you could find really good places for the real classic, authentic tenkara fishing. Obviously, the all of the, the mountain west is great for it, but all of the uh, the eastern uh, seaboard, you know, all the entire Appalachian range from, you know, Maine to Georgia is full of great places for tenkara. Um, and in the Ozark Mountains, uh, in the what they call the driftless region of Wisconsin, has become sort of a, a tenkara mecca just because of the size and nature of the streams. It's a great place for this sort of fishing. But, yeah, it's, it's going to be, you know, sort of upland country with swift-flowing streams, cold streams, hopefully streams that have wild trout in them. Everybody likes to fish over wild trout when possible. It's not always possible. And so you, you may have to, you know, do some fishing in places where the, the wild trout are supplemented with hatchery trout. But, uh, you know, that's, that is what it is. But that's, those are the kind of, kind of environments where you're going to be doing, as I say, you know, authentic Tenkara fishing. Now, <laughs> almost immediately as soon as Tenkara got here, you know, not everybody lives near a, a stream like that or an, an upland area, you know. Lots of people live in, in parts of the country where it's just not really sort of trout country. But there is water and there are fish. So take their Tenkara rods and they fish for the fish they have. Like the old song, Love, love the One You're With, is, you know, catch the fish you're with. When you're doing that, you're not strictly speaking Tenkara fishing because, as I said, uh, Tenkara is by definition trout fishing. But it can be a lot of fun and it can be good for everything from ponds to larger rivers for warm water fish, for bass, panfish, carp, if you've got a, a nice, stout, sturdy tenkara rod. And there are even people who sort of nip at the edges of the salt water with their tenkara rods and catch some of the smaller species that can be found there. Yeah, and even uh, not so much smaller species. Um, <laughs> I just um, a few months ago interviewed uh, Karen Miller who also has a company selling Tenkara rods. Um, her niche, and, and listen to the interview, just look up, uh, or just search our, our archive for Tenkara, you'll find Karen there too. But um, she's taken it to the other end. I mean, she's called tarpon and bonefish and salmon and uh, you name it. Uh, she's caught it, uh, um, you know, with a Tenkara rod, albeit uh, rods that she's developed that are a whole lot stouter than than your standard uh, tenkara trout rod, but absolutely uh, got a photo of her in the book holding a shark. <laughs> holding a shark, yeah, yeah. Um, yep. So, you know, hey, <laughs> I, you know, I was totally amazed at what she was doing, and what amazed me more, I think, was um, the fact that she was getting that close to many of these fish that in. in my experience that require usually a longer cast to, to get to them. So right. the stealth factor that 
that she has uh, to get close to those fish, I, I, I thought it was incredible. Um, yep. Certainly you can build a bigger rod, right? Um, but but the, the other factor of just getting to those fish, um, she's pretty expert at. So. Yeah, absolutely. And she really has been, you know, literally all over the world fishing for um, all of the trout and salmon species and, and just about every other kind of fish you can think of. And you're right, uh, her company, Zen Tenkara, they do um, build rods specifically for these larger species of fish. And I think what I think the the experience that Karen is offering to her customers is uh, is of getting close to the fish and of you know catching them and landing them with as little equipment as possible. You know, a real minimalist, real intense, intimate kind of fishing, and that's that's the way the Tenkara trout fishing is too. Um, when you're trout fishing, a ten, a, you know, because tenkara rods are quite long, and you're almost always holding the entire line off the water, so you're not getting drag, you're not getting a line that could be spooking fish, you're really getting a very good presentation of your flies. That's not always the case, of course, when you're fishing for sharks or whatever else Karen may be chasing with these rods. But I, it, it, it's definitely a cool experience in that sense of getting very close to your fish and having that intimate connection with them. You know, it, it's um, a, a point that I make in the book um, that maybe sort of illustrates part of the fun of Tenkara fishing. Um, I, I sort of draw a parallel between a Tenkara and hunting with a bow. Uh, you could certainly hunt with a rifle and have a lot of advantages. Um, you, you would have a longer range and, and you, you know, they're, they're a, a very powerful weapon. But yet a lot of people choose to hunt with a bow when they've got to get a lot closer to their game, and it's just a much bigger challenge, and it's more intimate. And I think Tenkara fishing appeals along those same lines. Yeah, and um, one point to be made, too, is when I did talk to Karen, um, she brings her other gear along, too. <laughs> so, um, you know, she likes to try to catch fish that she hasn't on Tenkara just for the challenge. But she has no problem picking up her traditional rigs, you know, to go after the fish that she wants to catch. Sure. So it's just another tool in her toolbox, um, you know, and I think that, that may be the case for many of us is, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to switch it up today, or I want to go simpler today, or I don't want to spend a lot of time getting all my stuff together. I'll just grab the Tenkara and go, you know. So yep. gives you another option. Um, Absolutely. It's kind of like... Um, uh, we were talking the other night on one of the shows about, you know, um, Euro-nymphing versus uh, indicator nymphing and so forth with George Daniel. And, you know, when it came down with, with George, he said, hey, you know, it's not one or the other. It's all of them. <laughs> you know, you need to have all these tools, and each situation you come across, uh, one of these tools might be a bit better than the others, and that's the one you go to, you know. So learning them all is is to your advantage as a as a fly fisher to to have more in your in your toolbox and know how to use them you know so absolutely yeah. I thought that was a good point yep that applies to tin car as well um, uh, the um, George uh, Gregory in Jonesboro Arkansas asks how do I plan a tin car trip uh, fishing trip trip to Japan and um, find guides and so forth I talked to uh, to, uh, Morgan before the show, and he said he didn't really have a handle on that, but 
probably a, a person to talk to would be Daniel Gallardo, I would think, Gregory, and um, he does have. Yeah, I, I wouldn't hesitate to reach out to Tenkara USA. If they don't yeah. have a good answer for you, they probably know who does. They also have very good forums on their site, lots of discussions, and you might find some information there. This is a good topic to research on social media, too. There's a number of groups on Facebook about Tenkara fishing, and there's a lot of people there who have made that sort of trip. And as a, as a rule, there are people who like to share this sort of experience and share what they know. So uh, that, that's a good place to look, too. Yeah. Get on social yeah. and uh, just chat with folks, and I, I think it will probably become clear. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Phil McCartney in, in Kentucky, he says, uh, what are some examples of fly fishing situations in which Tenkara methods are not a great choice for one or more reasons? Not a great choice. The obvious answer is uh, where the fish is too far away, where you just can't reach the fish. And so, um, you know, an example here in, in my part of the world would be if you're on the, the, the Delaware River uh, along the border of New York and Pennsylvania. With, uh, it's, it's a very wide river. A lot of it uh, is, you know, especially in the larger pools, is too deep to wade. Um, it's very often floated from drift boats, but wading anglers do fish it too. But th the point is you might have to make some pretty long casts to reach the, to reach the rising trout that you're trying to catch. Uh, and in that situation where you're kind of limited to uh, 25, maybe 30 feet of fishing range uh, with your Tenkara rig, it just might not be enough. That's the biggest limitation is, uh, is you know, just not being able to reach the fish. The Tenkara philosophy is, well, look, if, if I can't reach any fish here, then I'm going to move a little ways downstream or a little ways upstream and look for a fish I can reach. Um, the other sort of potential spot where a Tenkara rod might not work out is if you're liable to be catching fish that are just too big for the tackle to handle. Tenkara rods are surprisingly strong. They're very light. They're very soft. And it's that softness, that big flex in the rod, that makes it possible to land pretty good-sized fish pretty quickly, pretty efficiently. Um, this is It's not an unsporting way to catch it all. If anything, I think, uh, in my experience anyway, I think you can land fish more efficiently on a Tenkara rod than on a, a rod and reel, even good-sized fish. But there are limits, and if you're so, I mean, if you're fishing, say, one of the Great Lakes uh, steelhead tributaries, and, you know, you catch a hot 10-pound steelhead on a rod that was designed for 12-inch trout, it, it's probably not going to end well. But those are basically the two situations when you're, when you're undergunned in terms of the size of the fish that you might catch and where you simply can't reach the fish. Yeah, and uh, another thought came to mind since I just mentioned George Daniel and we were talking about indicator fishing. You, I wouldn't think Tenkara would be used for indicator fishing. Um, and, and the reason being that a lot of times when you're using indicators, it's because you have to cast far to get to the fish and you can't control your line. But with Tenkara, you're always so close that you have direct contact and can do contact fishing with a Tenkara rig and don't need, and you can't, fish, you know, 40 feet away. That's so, right. Um, that, that's exactly right. Although you certainly can use uh, indicators on your Tenkara line if you like them, if you like that kind of fishing. And a lot of people do fish uh, a sort of dry and dropper kind of setup. That's actually right. quite yeah. popular. 
But, yeah. yeah, I mean, the line itself is the indicator when you're 10-cara fishing. You know, you'd mentioned Euro-nymphing uh, a moment ago. The, the parallels between Euro-nymphing and 10-cara are really striking. I covered a couple of fishing competitions as a journalist a few years back, um, and I was just struck by how much what those guys were doing looked like 10-cara fishing. They had long rods, 10, 11 feet long, so long by fly rod standards. They really weren't using their fly lines at all. They had, you know, 20-foot tippets, and, and the lines wouldn't even usually come out past the end of the guides. It was all tippet fishing, short casts, uh, holding the entire leader off the water, fishing every pocket, getting good, quick drifts, and then and then picking up and casting again. Very, very similar. Yeah, sounds exactly like Tenkara. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Uh, and, and, in fact, they're... They're designing now, you know, level lines and uh, mono lines for Euro nymphing um, because you don't need your line really. You know, it's uh, right. You're not yeah, casting the line; the you're way. casting the leader. Um, right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting uh, comparison there. Um, uh, need to take a quick break. Uh, but when we come back, we'll talk uh, more about the equipment and the rods and so forth. So, uh, hang with us, and we'll be right back. Watermaster is dedicated to providing their customers with the highest quality inflatables on the market as well as an unbeatable customer service and product support. They are best known for their signature products, the Watermaster Grizzly and Kodiak rafts. These rafts are lightweight, compact, durable, versatile, and safe. The Watermaster rafts are everything your personal watercraft should be. They have been used by anglers and hunters all over the world for over 15 years, including Dave Whitlock, one of Fly Fishing's greatest innovators. Dave said, with my Watermaster, I can enjoy more fishing per hour than any other method I have ever tried. After two and a half years of testing 15 models of kick floats, I'm convinced that the Watermaster is the ultimate first personal flotation craft for warm and cold water fly fishing. Visit Watermaster today and take a look at the ultimate personal flotation craft. Go to BigSkyInflatables.com. That's BigSkyInflatables.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Morgan Lyle about Tenkara Fly Fishing today. If you'd like to ask Morgan a question, let's go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use that Q&A text box to send us your question. So um, let's uh, talk a bit more about the rods. And uh, you pretty much explained it. You know, there's different weights, telescoping rods, telescoping rods um, as opposed to segmented, uh, you know, conventional rods that we're used to but how do you how do you actually rig it up i you know where how, how does the line meet the rod and and how do you set that up okay uh on the tip of the rod extending uh maybe usually about two inches off the the very tip of the rod is a short segment of sort of braided nylon um it's called a lillian and i've explained in the book where it got that nickname it's a it's sort of a Google Translate issue, but uh, it's, it's made of something that I guess in Japan is a, is a common material for certain sorts of um, crafts and, and in children's crafts called lily yarn, and, but it, it is just basically a, a short length of uh, braided nylon, and you usually tie a little overhand knot in it towards the end of it to serve as a stopper. Your ten, and there are actually a couple different ways to attach a ten-cara line, but the, the most common way is to, to use a, a, an attachment that's known as a girth hitch, and it has a couple of other names. The rod end of your line will have a loop on it, a two, three-inch long loop. It's usually made of like fly line backing or you know string like that. You sort of reach through that loop with your thumb and forefinger, 
and grab the line and pull it back through the loop, and so that makes a different loop. You slip that loop down over the Lillian, pull it tight, snug it up against the, the overhand knot, and you're connected. It's very, very easy to disconnect, but I've never had one pull off while I was in the middle of, uh, of, of casting or, or playing a fish. Um, generally speaking, you'll, it, there, there's a little cap that goes uh, in the tip of the rod that, that keeps the sections of the rod from falling out. So you've got to take that cap off first before you attach your line. Try to remember where you put that cap, but everybody loses the little caps. It's just a fact of 10-car life. But I've got a spot now where mine always goes, so I haven't lost one in a while. But if you do lose one, you can send away for another one. They're like 7 bucks or whatever. And there's a couple different versions of caps that can go over the for the, the line end of your 10-car rod. Yeah, it's kind of like... But that's uh, it. So you, you just you know take the cap off, attach the line, and extend your rod, and you're fishing. Your line... Um, you'll have a, a casting line, much as you do in fly fishing, and then on the end of that line you'll have a length of tippet, generally three, four feet of tippet, 5X usually. You, you, you seldom want to go heavier than 5X. 6X is usually fine. That very soft rod with that big flex will protect a light tippet, even with a good fish on it. So, And, and the reason you don't want to use a heavier tippet than 5X, except with the, the really heavier rods, because the tips of those 10 car rods are pretty fragile, and they can break. And you, if, you, if something's going to break, you want it to be the tippet and not the tip of your rod. So the, the flex of the rod protects the tippet, and the tippet protects the rod. But that's basically it. You, uh, you've, you've got your line attached. You've got your tippet attached to the end of the line. Tie on whatever fly you plan to use and extend your rod, and off you go. We've got a couple of questions on lines here. Uh, Dale Yamamoto in Chicago, uh, he says, there are tapered and level lines sold for Tenkara. Are there situations where one is better than the other, or, it is, or is it a personal preference? It's mostly personal preference. There can be something of a tactical advantage to using what's known as a level line. And a level line is just a, a straight, untapered piece of uh, high-visibility fluorocarbon generally anywhere from 12 to 16 pound test. There are, there is a, a, a Japanese line weight scale that, you know, you, once you've started poking around this stuff, you get used to understanding what it means. But there's a, a size 3 line, a size 3.5 line, a size 4 line. That's sort of the range that you would use for most of your 10 car fishing. And that equates to, as I say, uh, fluorocarbon in the 12 to 16 pound range. And it, it does need to be high-vis just so that you can see it, so you, you can follow your line. I mean, and, and even if it's bright pink and bright orange, it can sometimes be difficult to, to keep track of. And that's what's known as a level line. The nice thing about that is that it's very, very light. It's very easy to hold the entire line off the water. Um, so it, it gives you a, a good tactical advantage. Now, uh, the tapered lines, and they can be uh, a sort of a tapered monofilament line, like an extruded nylon line, or they can be something that looks very much like a, a braided leader or a furled leader. Um, they're just a delight to cast. They're really just so nice to cast. They feel like a little miniature fly line, and it's a real pleasure. So, but they're a little heavier than the level line, the monofilament line, the, uh, the fluorocarbon lines. So you, you don't have quite the tactical advantage of, of your line angling straight down from the rod tip into the water. But they still work quite well. And I think, you know, if, if you just enjoy casting them a lot, and I really do, then I think that, you know, that offsets any uh, loss of tactical advantage from the lightness of the line. 
we have a few questions on um, selecting rods. Um, Doug McLean in uh, Calgary, Alberta, asks, uh, what length and flex ten car rods do you use on different types of water? Um, you know, one of the questions people ask me a lot when I give talks to Trout Unlimited chapters and so forth is, you know, what what is the sort of uh, the, the nomenclature of the rods? I mean, with fly fishing, you've got three and four and five weights and six and seven weights and eight and nine weights, and right. everyone understands, you know, they're like trout rods and normal trout rods and, say, bass rods and saltwater rods and musky rods. Um, it's Tenkara rods, it, it's sort of... It's a sort of a case-by-case -case situation, but as a general rule, the uh, if you want to think of the 9-foot 5-weight as being the great all-around trout fly rod, well, a 12-foot Tenkara rod uh, is, generally speaking, the, the all-arounder in the Tenkara world. Most of them are designed uh, by their, you know, by their weight, by the thickness of the walls of the rod to, to do battle with trout up to, I mean, generally speaking, 15, 16 inches. If you catch an 18-inch trout, you'll probably land it with no real problem. If you catch a 22-inch trout, it might get a little interesting. You might land it. He might win. But, but they're generally meant for most of the trout that you're likely to encounter. Um, but different manufacturers will sell rods with different characteristics. And going back to Karen Miller at Zen Tenkara, as we were discussing, she makes rods specifically for larger and heavier fish and, and for larger and heavier lines, too. A lot of Karen's rods are rated to actually cast segments of regular PVC fly line. So it really does vary from manufacturer to manufacturer and from model to model. The good news is all the manufacturers will explain this in their, in their information, in their catalogs and websites and so forth. So it's not hard to figure out. But I think most of the Tenkara rod models uh, on the market today fall into that sort of all-around category, 12-foot rods that are, that are good for, uh, for, let's say, for, for most, you know, uh, freshwater fish, primarily trout, but also bass, certainly panfish. There are smaller and lighter models that are really nice for little brook trout streams up in the mountains. Uh, it's a really fun way to fish for small wild fish. And there are longer and heavier models that you might want to use for your larger trout rivers, or if you need to be, you know, if the conditions are such that you're going to be fishing deep with a heavy nymph, then you want a, a larger and stouter rod to, to make that possible. Oh, and, I, and I'm sorry, okay. the question was about the flex, too. That's an important yeah. point to mention. Um, some rods are very full flex, where, they, where the, the flex of the rod comes all the way down just about to the handle. And some are much stiffer, have more of a tip flex. And again, that's personal preference. I do like a rod with a kind of a crisp action, so I probably lean more toward the, the tip flex models. There's a sort of nomenclature that some rod companies use and some don't use because it's kind of imprecise, but it's the system of, of two-digit ratings with a 5-5 five, five rod being considered a, a very soft, slow action and a 7-3 rod being considered a much faster action and a stiffer rod. So and, and six four would be somewhere between the two of them. So I tend to like six four and seven three rods. Okay. Um, the there's another question from Gregory in Jonesboro, Arkansas, about how do you find a high quality rod? He says there are so many, but I suspect only a few are really good. Uh, and then 
And then the second part of his question is, why do Americans and Brits make, sell their own brand of rods? Aren't there excellent Japanese rods available? That's a pile of good questions right there. Um, actually, I would say that uh, I would suspect only a few are really bad. I think most of the Tenkara rods you're going to, to get your hands on are going to be very nice to fish with and well-made, and most of the companies are excellent with their customer service. And I don't think you're going to find many where you're going to be disappointed with the quality. Now, if you're going on Amazon and you're seeing a Tenkara rod for sale for 20 bucks, well, you know, yeah, you should be suspicious. You do get what you pay for. But uh, most of the, the companies that are reasonably well-established and, and they've sort of gotten their names around, their rods are selling for anywhere from, say, 100 to 250 wide range. But they're all going to be good. Uh, I, I really don't know of any that have turned out to be, you know, poor quality, have, you know, fallen apart quickly in use or anything like that. I just haven't heard much of that actually happening. Maybe because it really is a pretty simple instrument to make, you know. They do have, there, there is a lot of thought and research goes into the, to the taper, to the design of the rod and the materials and so forth and the handle. But there's just a lot less to it than there is to a fly rod, for example, which is part of the reason they're so much less expensive. But I, I think um, it's just easier to make a good quality Tenkara rod. Um, that said, there are some really nice, exquisite ones out there, and I, I don't want to be in a position of, you know, picking winners and losers, but I know the rods that I like, and I, I really think they're, they're sweet, sweet quality. Now, why do Americans and Brits make and sell their own rods? I just think people like being in this business, um, and, and I don't blame them. They, they want to, this is how they want to conduct their entrepreneurship, is uh, making and selling Tenkara rods. But um, it, it's a very good question about why we don't just buy Japanese rods, rods made by companies like Nissin, Suntech, Daiwa, Shimano, for the Japanese domestic market. They sell tons of them over there. The reason is those companies just aren't interested in selling their rods in the United States. The market here is just too small for what they want to do. And, of course, you know, companies like Shimano and Daiwa are very large companies. They sell tons of spinning rods here and, and bicycles and everything else. But uh, it's just it's, it's never really at least so far, none of the Japanese Tenkara makers have made any effort to, to make a, a push to sell their rods in the United States and Europe and, and elsewhere in the West. However, this is why, if you're interested in this kind of thing, this is where you go see my friend Chris Stewart's site at tenkarabum.com because that is what Chris does. He imports Japanese rods, rods made for the Japanese domestic market, and sells them here in the U.S., and he writes long beautiful, very candid reviews of each and every rod, and he's got a really <laughs> wide selection available. So you'll learn a ton. The guy's a terrific writer. The guy's done a lot of research, been to Japan a number of times, fishes all the time, so he knows what he's talking about. You're going to learn a lot, and you'll have a great range of real, honest-to-God Japanese Tenkara rods to buy. Um, and so that is certainly uh, an avenue that I would, consider, I would encourage anybody to explore if they're interested in, in the real deal, authentic Japanese domestic market rods. But, you know, the American companies, Tenkara USA and, and many others, they're great. Those rods are fine. You'll have a great time fishing them. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Um, Doug McLean in uh, Calgary, Alberta, wrote in and says, do you use traditional Tenkara flies in your fishing? 
or do you tend more to use flies designed for regular trout fishing? Why would you choose to the, use the traditional Tenkara flies, and in work, what circumstances might they be the best choice and why? Why would you choose to use flies designed for the regular trout fishing, and on what circumstances would uh, they be the best choice and why? So, dig in. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> <Morgan>. question. <laughs> well, yeah. I, honestly, um, you know, what's thought of as a quote-unquote Tenkara fly uh, is a specific style of fly that that is used pretty commonly among the Tenkara fishers in Japan, although not necessarily a majority of the time. I think most of the time the Tenkara anglers in Japan are fishing flies very similar to what we use here in the U.S. and what are used in the U.K. and in Europe and, and in other places. Um, and actually, yet, before I continue down that point, I should point out that, um, and, and I have not been to Japan myself, but from everyone I've spoken to about it, uh, including many people who have been, and, and some Japanese anglers too, um, most fly fishers in Japan fish exactly the same way as fly fishers here in the U.S. with the same rods, reels, flies, lines that we use. And in Japan, as in the U.S., Tenkara is sort of a subculture of the fly fishing. Although, um, I guess it's quite a few years ago now that uh, the, the U.S. market far surpassed Japan as the biggest Tenkara gear market in the world, just because we're that big. The flies. Um, what is often thought of as a typical Tenkara fly is a, a simple wet fly, usually no tail, just a body and a hackle, but the hackle, instead of sloping back toward the bend of the hook, like we're accustomed to seeing here, slopes the other way. It leans out over the eye of the hook. That's probably what people would think of as kind of the quintessential Tenkara fly. And I do use that, that style is called a Sakasa Kabari. Kabari means trout fly. Sakasa means reverse hackle. And as I say, lots of people in Japan use them, but they probably use more conventional style with the hackles leaning back toward the bend of the hook more often. But I do love using Sakasa hackle flies, and I think the reason is they just seem to have more action in the water, especially if you've got a, a soft hackled wet, and most of these are soft hackles, when they're leaning back toward the bend of the fly, if that fly is pulled through the water at all or if it's, you know, sort of uh, pulling against the current at any point, those hackles tend to collapse down along the body of the fly and, and they almost disappear some of the time. Whereas those hackles that are sticking out off the front of the fly in that same situation, if they're being pulled through the water or if they're sort of fighting against the current, they wave around like crazy. So if your hackle is made of, you know, Hungarian partridge, or, or something like that with a nice barred design on it. Man, it just it's so alive in the water, you know, seeing those little appendages kind of flailing around f frantically. So I think it's just a, a good lure. I, I, I find it, and I've had a lot of great luck with them. But in general, the flies that uh, Japanese Tenkara anglers use are not really all that different than what we're used to using here. I will say, uh, here in the States, we probably do more nymphing than what is done in Japan. Most uh, authentic tenkara fishing in Japan is uh, done with wet flies, um, shallow, a few inches below the surface. Um, and, and a very important technique that the Japanese tenkara anglers use is to just sort of gently jig the fly in a very rhythmic, methodical way. 
um, especially if you're in a, you know, sort of a pool or a quiet run with some depth to it where there's liable to be fish, but there's not a lot of activity going on, that's, that's sort of a, an attractor activity. It can be a good way to pull them up. It is a fun way to fish a pool. It's a lot more fun than just watching a, a strike indicator, you know, barely move as it's floating down a slow pool, you know. You actually manipulate your fly in the water. But, yeah, the Japanese yeah. fly aren't really all that different than what we use here. Uh, as I was starting to say, American anglers, we like our nymphing probably more so than what goes on in Japan, so that would be one difference. But I use whatever will work. If, if I don't see any reason to think that uh, fish are going to be looking up, then I'm going down with a nymph. Yeah, that's what Scott Nelson in Portland, Oregon, was asking, you know, can one effectively nymph fish instead of topwater uh, presentation with, uh, with Tenkara? And you just pretty much answered, I think, Scott's question there, and you can do any and all of those methods. But... Um, but uh, I think you cleared up why that the, the Tenkara flies, the reverse tackle, uh, I think you gave a very good description of why we might want to use that. Because it gives a different look than any of the other flies we're, we're used to, to, to using, that lifelike pulsing. Uh, puts yeah. tension on that hackle to where it has to move um, and, and pulse forward. So that's, yeah, that's, that's very interesting. Well, yeah. uh, we need to take a quick break here. And... Um, We'll be right back and talk about more strategies and tactics here. Baja Fly Fishing Company is dedicated to fulfilling your vacation dreams. And just so there's no mistake, they derive as much pleasure helping a novice improve as they do fishing with a pro. From the casual to the hardcore, they can match your expectations with their experience and coaching. A vacation with Baja Fly Fishing is more than just a fishing trip. It's a full-on Baja experience that you will remember forever. They know the Baja after 40 years of traveling its back roads, kayaking its shoreline, surfing and snorkeling while pioneering the fly fishing techniques that have evolved into the tactics used today. They are well-versed in fly fishing the beach, in kayaks, on pongas, and are well-versed in all tackle types. Join them in pursuit of roosterfish, dorado, marlins, tailfish, wahoo, jack creval, yellowfin, skipjack, and many other species. Learn more about Baja Fly Fishing Company by visiting their website at www.baja.com. Flyfish.com. That's Baja Flyfish.com. Okay, um, we're going let's talk a, a bit more about strategies and tactics. And um, you know, when we, we were talking about casting a few minutes ago, can you give us some tips about casting a tin car rod that are, you know, maybe a bit different than how we might be used to casting a traditional rod? Sure. You know, and it's basically the same idea. You're, you're using a, a back cast and a forward cast. You have to throw the line behind you to get it moving, and then you throw it forward to send the fly where you want it to be. One inch, and you can, you can do it any way that's comfortable for you. It's definitely a shorter casting stroke. If fly fishing, you know, has, you know, sort of traditionally been described as having a stroke from 10 o'clock to 2 o'clock, um, the Tenkara casting stroke is uh, – 10 o'clock to, to 12, and maybe even a little less than that. You really don't have to move your hand much. One reason for that is because the rods are so long, it's a very long lever, just a little bit of movement of your hand is going to move the tip of that rod quite a distance. And the other reason is you're, you're generally casting a, a much shorter line than what you'll be doing in most fly fishing. Figure your line will be anywhere from, say, 12 to 15 feet and maybe four feet of tippet on top of that. So, you know, by 
20 feet at the absolute max, and I try to keep it significantly shorter than that, 15, 16 feet, including the tippet. So, so it doesn't take a lot of movement to, to move that line around. So you need a short stroke. You do, you do, you know, stop between the back cast and forward cast, just as you do in fly fishing, just a very brief pause, just, just to let that short line, you know, get going behind you and so that you can pull it forward to send it out over the water. You need to stop high. You need to, that's one thing to keep in mind with your 10 car rod. If you find yourself sort of with the rod falling down to almost the horizontal at the end of your forward cast, you're probably not getting as long of a cast as you could. It seems a little counterintuitive, but if you stop high, if you stop that rod at 11 o'clock, that's going to let your line extend to the, to the maximum extent possible. Yeah, so it's that, a, uh, that tip there, um, one of the Tenkara uh, salesmen from Japan that was at uh, IFTD uh, was showing me that exactly what you just said, because I was coming more level on the forward cast and, and puddling the cast down there. He goes, no, 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 yeah. stop higher, stop higher, you know. So yep. um, exactly the way you described it. Yeah, Good yeah, it, it really does help, um, you know. And, and and honestly, you know, when, when you you know casting distance is at a premium as it is when you're ten car fishing, you really need every foot you can get. So, yeah, stop high. Um, but yeah, that's and one other interesting point, and it does depend a little bit what kind of line you use. There are actually floating lines that are designed for use with a 10 car rod if you want to fish dry flies in the in the way that you're accustomed to with a regular fly rod and it really is just sort of a miniature fly line um and and when you're casting that you, your stroke may look a little bit more like it does with a fly rod but the again the, the sort of traditional authentic japanese cast is different than what we're accustomed to doing with our fly rods I think most of us are trained with our fly rods to keep that line when we're false casting, to keep the line traveling in a horizontal plane. And the Japanese take a different approach. They keep the, their plane is a 45 degree angle. So it almost looks like, you know, something like a, like a, a sort of a steeple cast that you might use when you're trying to cast above obstructions behind you. Um, and, and your rod tip really is traveling at a 45 degree angle. Uh, for one thing, it does throw the line up over anything that might be behind you, so it's helpful in that respect. But it's also helpful in just when you come forward on that forward cast in in that angle and stop nice and high, then your your line is just dive bombing directly to where to fishing position. As soon as it touches the water, you're in fishing position, and it's just a, a good. I think it's a good form to adopt. You know, a good habit to have. I, I like casting that way. So. But at the, generally speaking, I guess the biggest difference is that it's a short stroke. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Dan in Miami, he said, and we've addressed some of this, but uh, we can talk more about it. He said, I'd like to learn both Euro-nymphing and Tenkara. seems to me that there are many parallels. One, managing the drift. Two, high-sticking soft tackles or nymphs. And three, the strike detection. I wonder if I learn one, is there a good foundation for learning the other? Which is easier to learn as a starting point? Yeah, well, it's a great question, but as we were, were saying before, they really are very similar. So, yes, I think whichever one you learn is going to be a very good foundation for the other. There's honestly not a whole lot of difference between the two techniques. The equipment is different, you know, using a fly rod with a reel, using a tenkara rod with no reel. But the actual casting and fishing and the drifts are very, very similar. Um, 
and I would definitely encourage him to try it either way, with a fly rod or with a 10-car rod, because it's a really cool, fun way to fish. It's very active. You're making a lot of casts. You're covering a lot of water. You're exploring lots of little nooks and crannies, really actively looking for fish. Because, you know, if you're fishing in a tournament, you can't stand around with your arms folded on your chest for 20 minutes waiting to see a fish rise. You've got to get in there and get some points on the board. So you're, you're in the water looking for those fish, and, uh, and that's a great way to do it. Yeah, it's, um, you know, when I think of contact nymphing, uh, which, you know, can, like extends to Tenkara, like you've just been talking about, yep. it's, it's, you know, to think about a, a Zen view of it is you become one <laughs> with the water and the fish. Because it, and, it, and you are. It seems you're, you're, you're so much closer and involved and connected, you know. Exactly. Um, so I like that's to think exactly of, right, Roger. That's a great way yeah. to describe it. Yeah, that's what I like about it, too. Yeah, yep. yeah. Um, Charlie Phelps in Minneapolis area, he wrote in, he says, Hi, Morgan, most of my fishing occurs in nearby Driftless area, which you mentioned earlier, Morgan. And, um, and by the way, we've done a show on that, too. Um, so uh, look in the archive for the Driftless region. And he says, I've fallen in love with my Tenkara Bum 40 rod with a 25-45 level line, uh, depending on the wind. So he might talk about that in... Uh, three feet of 5x, 6x tippet with beadhead nymph on the end. I swing the nymphs and small streamers occasionally, but spend 90% of my time tight line nymphing. What is your favorite way of using Tenkara gear? And what sorts of fun and success am I missing out on by sticking to beadhead nymphs as opposed to fishing with traditional Tenkara flies? Charlie, my favorite way is exactly what you do with exactly the rod you use. My Tenkara Bum 40 is my favorite rod. It really is a really sweet rod, really nice to fish with. And that is what I do most of the time, too. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm tight-lining nymphs. It's just for the streams that I fish here in upstate New York, western New England, that just seems to be the, the thing that's going to produce probably more often than anything else. If there's a hatch going on, then obviously it could be a different situation. But, yeah, um, and, and by the way, congratulations on, on being nearby to the Driftless region. You're in a great spot for some fishing. Um, yeah, um, I, I'm, and my tackle is right along the lines of yours. Uh, uh, oh, and, and you, uh, Roger, you'd asked me to, to say just a, a bit about those lines. And that's that Japanese line nomenclature I was talking about um, Charlie has taken it down even a, a little bit lighter. A, a 2.5 line is really quite a light line. It's kind of challenging to cast. Uh, whereas a 4.5 line, and, and these are these are level lines we're talking about here generally, um, somewhat heavier so you get a little more feedback in the cast. You feel the rod flex a little better. You feel the rod load. So it's a little easier to cast in that sense. And they're a little easier to cast into a wind as Charlie uh, mentions in his question here. But, uh, but yeah, so the, the smaller the number with those Japanese lines, the lighter the line is. And, you know, the lighter the line is, the stealthier you are. But the heavier the line is, maybe easier to cast, especially if you're battling wind or something like that, um, as Charlie mentions. Now, what are you missing out on, Charlie, while you're uh, tight nymphing with beadhead nymphs, uh, tight line nymphing? Well, that, that whole... Uh, Traditional Japanese method of fishing, you know, fishing shallow with wet flies really is a lot of fun. Um, and it, that sort of puts me in the same mind kind of as, uh, as the guys who, well, they've done it for years in the Pacific Northwest out here closer toward me, 
uh, and the, the Great Lakes steelhead tributaries, a lot of guys have taken up uh, spay fishing, um, and they're uh, in, instead of bouncing the bottom with a nymph, they're they're swinging flies very high in the water column, just below the surface, really, uh, and they're looking for the fish that are players, the fish that would be inclined to come up and grab that fly. And the guys that are nymphing down deep with, with slinkies and lots of, you know, split shot on their line and so forth, they're probably catching more fish. The guys who are in the shallow water swinging their, their flies, their intruders and so forth, they're catching fewer fish, but they might be enjoying them more. And they, you know, it, it's not just catching fish, it's catching fish the way they want to. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. So I would encourage you to, uh, to, to try the, uh, you, you can dead drift them, you can swing them, and you should try the, the sasoi manipulation, the jigging technique that the Japanese guys use. Um, and the other thing is, tenkara rods are fantastic for dry fly fishing. You just get wonderful drifts. You get zero drag. You've got no line lying on the water. So you can reach over pockets and rocks and drop your fly exactly where you want it. You could drop it in an eddy behind a rock and hold it there all afternoon because there's nothing that's going to pull it out of there. So it's it's great for dry fly fishing. Use regular American flies if you want, or or any other trout flies that'll work on your trout. But yeah, but you know, if you're having fun nymphing, keep nymphing, man. Now the um, one thing that I, I just uh, wanted to ask you about, and I kind of uh, forgot about it, but I just glanced over at your book, and um, you. On your rod, on the cover shot, you have a, a line spool on the rod. Um, yeah. What's that about, and what are your other line management? Are there other line management kind of things that you do, tricks? Uh, yeah, there's, there's a whole rod? bunch of them. You know, for a, for a sport that, uh, um, you know, holds itself out as being simple and uncluttered, there really is quite a lot of stuff you could get <laughs> you can and get, fool huh? around with in Tenkara. But um, and we may not use reels, but we do need to use spools. It's just, and as you you say, it's just a a, a device to keep your line on when your line's not on your rod. Uh, that one that's on the cover of the book actually is a Tenkara USA product on George Daniels' rod there, and uh, it's a really nicely made item. I use it, and I really like it a lot. But there's all different kinds of spools that are commercially available, very inexpensive, easy to use. It's really just something to keep your line wound on when it's in your pack or your pocket or wherever you're carrying your stuff. There are also different sorts of little gadgets you could put onto the rod itself. Um, and, and it starts to sound like a real little bit when you're doing that, but um, just so that if you're going to move from one spot to the other, you can just sort of collapse your rod real quickly and then wind the line onto, you know, little little gadgets affixed to the handle just so it'll be wound neatly and in a place where it's not going to catch on on the bushes and so forth. Um, and you will want to collapse your rod when you're moving from spot to spot and walking through the woods. Usually, I mean, if, if it's nice and wide open, it's not an issue, but if it's a pretty dense woods and you've got a 12-foot rod, it can be a little dicey. So you'll find yourself collapsing the rod to move a lot and having some place to wind your line onto is very helpful. And there, there's a wide variety of things available. Some of them are yeah, really yeah. actually very beautiful uh, items of craftsmanship. But you could also just, you know, cut a slice off a pool noodle and use that if you want. So, Yeah. Uh, you know, the collapsing and then and then managing the line there as you move, uh, that's really valuable. Um, uh, I, I mean, I, I took a fishing trip this, this fall, and 
uh, got the opportunity to fish a couple of very small creeks. And I don't fish small creeks much. Um, and um, one thing I learned is that there are big fish in small creeks yeah. <laughs> because I caught a couple of them, and I was totally surprised at the size yeah. of the fish that was in the size of the water. I just didn't think they were there. Um, but um, a lot of those areas, you, you're, you're going through these willows and trying to just move from spot to spot, and it's, it's, it's tough. You know, when you've got uh, a nine-foot rod trying to get through these things. And it would have been really convenient to, to fish a 10-car and just collapse and move through and then pull it back out and go back at it. it, it yeah, right. Some of these places are like an almost impenetrable bramble, and it's all you can do to get yourself through there, let alone bring yeah. your rod through there, too. So, yeah, the fact that it packs down nice and compact can be can be helpful. Yeah, and I looked at a picture of what you were describing a little... It almost looks like a cleat on a boat where you wind that line up on on the side of your rod. Um, uh, so that looks like a pretty simple solution there. Yeah, um, yeah. One thing before we go, um, landing fish. It could be a problem with tin car. <laughs> uh, you know, you've got that line out there. You can't reel it in. You can't reach the fish. So uh, explain a couple of techniques that can be used to, to get that fish to the net or to your hand. Well, generally speaking, what you do is you just just pull back on the rod, pull the rod back behind you, and pull the fish to your feet. Don't forget, when you've got a, a rod and a reel, you don't reel the fish all the way up to the tip of the rod. You reel until you, you're able to pull the fish to your feet, and then you scoop it up with your net, or you just reach down and unhook it, or whatever the case may be. And it's the same thing with the Tenkara rod. Now, if you're using a line that is substantially longer than the rod itself, say you're fishing a 12-foot rod, but you've got maybe a 16-foot line and then some tippet besides, then just reaching back behind you is probably not going to pull the fish close enough to you to land it. So you're going to have to reach out with your other hand and take the line in your hand and pull the fish to you. Now, when I first got into Tenkara fishing and I, and I heard about doing this, I was kind of alarmed by it because I always thought that was a terrible idea. You know, you, you want to keep the, um, keep the tension from the rod, you know, from the line on the rod, which has the flex, uh, and, and if you put your hand on it, you're interrupting that and, and, you know, putting yourself in a position to lose the fish either, either through a wiggle off or a break off or so I thought. But as, a, as it turns out, it works quite well. Once in a great while you'll have a problem, but generally no. Uh, you just sort of reach out and gently pull the line toward you and guide the fish to you. Now, if the fish isn't ready and he starts to go a little nuts, well, you can let the line go, let him fight against the rod a little bit longer, and then try again. But that's basically all there is to it. It's just a matter of sort of pulling the fish to your feet, scooping him up with the net. And as I say, uh, you probably would be surprised at the size and the weight of the fish that you can land without a lot of fuss uh, with a Tenkara rod. I do try to keep the amount of line I'm using limited, because you could cast quite a long line with these rods. But um, it, it does seem like a recipe for disaster to have, say, 24 or 26 feet of, of line, casting line, and then a tippet, uh, and no way to control it other than, you know, sort of pulling it in hand over hand. So I, I try to avoid that scenario. Um, in, you know, instead of using that much line, I'll just find a way to get closer to the water I'm trying to reach. But uh, as long as you've, you've got a reasonable length of line, uh, it's very easy to land a fish. Yeah, I have um, uh, had people describe to me when they are using more line and, you know, uh, 
starting to land larger fish that um, they'll literally throw the, the rod to the side and grab the line and then basically finish landing the fish w with the line because uh, there's just no other way to do it. Um, yeah, I've, I've never had or to Or unless you have a, uh, like I, I saw Karen Miller um, landing a salmon, but she had a buddy, and that's helpful, you know, with a net. Sure. Uh, and and I think that's another good method is to have your buddy net the, the fish if it's a large fish and you're you know doing something like salmon or something. I think sure. That's probably the way to go. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Get some help. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Um, so um, so what's you know end everything here. What do you see next as you know what's happening in Tinkara? Any any new things happening down the road, or you think it'll just kind of chug along the way it's been going? As I say, I think it's going to probably chug along the way it's been because the people who really get into it are pretty loyal to it, pretty dedicated to it, and I, I don't see them sort of losing interest after a season or two. Um, I, it does seem to have had staying power. Developments in tackle and so forth, I think probably people will be uh, – it, it would be nice to start seeing some Tenkara rods made in the United States, and I know that that's something that uh, Karen and Zen Tenkara – that's an initiative they're pursuing. I don't know if they're they're there yet, um, but and you know making things in the U.S. tends to make them more expensive to buy. So um, you know that would depend on the willingness of the fishing public to buy American-made rods. But uh, you know we've we've shown that we do like to buy American-made fly rods. You look at all the companies like Thomas and Thomas and Winston and Sage and so forth that are made here in the states, and that's one of the things we like about them. And I would like to see that happen too. As it stands right now, most of the rods are made in China or in other Asian countries. And again, I'm not knocking them at all. You know, the very good products of all kinds are coming out of the Asian factories these days, and that includes Tenkara rods. But um, there does the, the Japanese rods that are made in Japan do seem to be just a little bit tighter in their fit and finish, and they're lighter and a little more exquisite to cast and to hold. So there may be some room for uh, improvement in the quality of the rods. But again, as I say, I'm pretty happy with the quality of most Tenkara rods that you can get right now. I think you'll probably see people tinker with lines. I think there's lots of fun things people can do with accessories. So we'll fill our bags and our vests back up just like regular fly fishermen with all the stuff we carry. And but, empty um, our pockets. <laughs> empty our pockets, of course. <laughs> well, good. Um, yeah, I think there's, you know, it, just when you think you've seen it all, then then somebody has a new idea, you know. So who knows? Yeah. Who knows what will yeah. come down the road? Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, um, time to wrap it up here. Um, stick with me, though, a few more minutes here, Morgan. We're going to give away sure. the prizes. We're going to give away that one-year membership to Fly Fishers International and a one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. And thanks to Stackpole Books uh, at stackpolebooks.com. We'll all be giving away a copy of Morgan's latest book, uh, Tenkara, today. So um, stick with us just a couple more minutes. Uh, just a quick reminder to everyone, before you leave the website tonight, please take a minute and give us your feedback about the show. You can find a link on our homepage in the section under tonight's show that says, What did you think of the show? Just click on that link. Leave your comments. We'd really appreciate it. Uh, hold on. Okay. Lost my uh, uh, my headset there for a second. Um, so now it's time to give away some prizes. 
uh, the winners for our drawings are randomly selected from the show's registration database. So if you didn't register for tonight's show, it's too late now, but make sure you do so for the next show and you have a chance to win some of these incredible prizes we have to offer. So if you are the lucky winner, we'll be contacting you after the show and provide you with information on and how you can uh, receive your prize. So the first thing we're giving away uh, tonight is a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International. And to learn more about FFI, go to flyfishersinternational.org. You heard it described before at the beginning of the show, but it's a great organization to support and uh, be part of. So uh, if you don't win tonight, go check them out and uh, have a look and see if uh, you might want to join and help in uh, with some of their causes. Our uh, winner for this is Larry Wolf. Larry Wolf in Connecticut. So congratulations, Larry. We'll get you hooked up with FFI, and I'm sure you'll, uh, you'll enjoy your membership. And now we'll give away a one-year uh, subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. Uh, courtesy of Amato Books, uh, to learn more about what Amato has, go to amatobooks.com. See lots of books and periodicals on fly fishing. Uh, and uh, so check them out. Lots of good things to, to read there. And our winner for this is John Order, Orter, um, and from Indiana. And uh, so congratulations, John and Larry, for winning those uh, uh, subscriptions and memberships. And uh, I'm sure you're going to enjoy them. And now we'll give away uh, Morgan Lyle's latest book, Tenkara Today. Um, and if you don't win tonight, you can go buy it on Amazon. Uh, we've got a link to Amazon on our homepage of the website tonight. So just click on that link, and you'll see Morgan's other book there, Simple Flies. Check that one out, too. And um, uh, almost going to make it here, guys. <laughs> yeah. uh, so uh, let's do that. Let's give away Morgan's book book, and uh, you can learn more. You win that. Read more about Tenkara and what's going on in the world and the people that are involved. Very interesting story, and Morgan's done a great job of, of telling it. So uh, I'll tell you what we're going to do is um two-part question. Um, what did Morgan say was kind of the standard length uh, Tenkara rod for tri trout fishing? And what is the thing on the end of the rod that connects your fly line to the rod as a name? So a two-part question, and uh, uh, just go to our home page, fill out that form, send your answer in, and uh, we'll see if we don't have a winner here. So, Morgan, we got a slight delay before they actually hear what we said, number one. Um, and um, uh, looking for... Um, the answers here to come up in the queue. It takes usually a minute or so before they start coming in. Sure. So we'll uh, just hang here and uh, watch the bobber while we wait. <laughs> watch the bobber, absolutely. Well, listen, Roger, I think the opportunity to, to thank you for soldiering through this cold. I, I, I think every single person in the city of New York has that same cold, including me. So we're all sort of, you know, suffering along with you here. It's just, it's just been that yeah. kind of a fall. It's not the first time I've done this, you know. After, geez, over 300 shows, you're bound to get a few colds in there, you know. So you just have to kind of thank goodness for the mute button so you guys don't have to hear me hacking most of the time. <laughs> well, you're but I think we got a winner. First one in here, um, uh, 12 foot and a Lillian. Uh, I, I'd call that a winner, wouldn't you, Morgan? Spot on, absolutely. Yeah, and that's Chuck Kaminsky in Choctaw, Oklahoma. So, Chuck, congratulations uh, on paying attention, taking good notes, and or you got a good memory, <laughs> both. Uh, and what you need to do, Chuck, is 
is um, fill out that form again and just put in your address, you know, your name and address, your shipping address, so that we can get Stackpole to send that book out to you. And uh, and uh, enjoy. And uh, if you're not Tenkara fishing uh, yet, <coughs> you may be soon <laughs> after you read Morgan's book. So uh, uh, have fun and congratulations. Uh, Morgan, we really appreciate you being with us tonight again. Uh, and by the way, I didn't mention it, but we did do another show with Morgan called Simple Flies around his book, Simple Flies, Tying Simple Flies. So check that one out as well in our archive. Uh, our archive is... Uh, a great resource, over 300 shows in there now, so um, have at it. But Morgan, I appreciate you being with us tonight. Oh, absolutely a pleasure, Roger. Thank you so much. I want to thank all the, the uh, readers and listeners who sent in great questions. Really fun. Uh, sorry, having problems with my headset again. Yeah, thank you, and um, I know it's getting late out there in New York, so uh, uh, we'll let you go, and we'll finish up the show and, uh, and talk soon. So uh, thanks a lot, Morgan. Great. Thanks again, Roger. Talk to you soon. Our next broadcast will be on December 4th, 7 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, and on that show, I'll interview Landon Mayer, and our topic for the show will be sight fishing for trout revisited. Seeing trout is a learned skill, and Landon Mayer has it perfected. Uh, Ed Engel thinks Landon may be part osprey, but I'm sure he's got some heron in him, too, so... Uh, uh, he can see fish as good as anybody, so and he can also teach us how to do it as well. So listen in to learn how to see more fish on your next trip. We'd like to thank Fly Fishers International, Amato Books, Tackpole Books, Whipray Key Fishing Lodge, Baja uh, Fly Fishing, and Watermaster for sponsoring our show tonight. Don't forget to visit our website at askaboutflyfishing.com, and make sure you're signed up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Thanks for listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We hope you enjoyed the show. That's it. Good night, everyone, and good fishing. Whoops.